Thank you, praise team. Philippians chapter 4 this morning, please. Philippians chapter 4. I, it is my intention, well, we're kind of in between series here. If you're visiting with us and don't quite know our normal way of doing things, from at least as far as the teaching ministry is concerned, I, I, I usually try to do series, uh, books of the Bible, that sort of thing. We finished up, uh, what did we finish up last? Galatians. And prior to that, I think we were in John, and we try to preach through books of the Bible. You're not interested in what I have to say. We want to see what the Bible has to say, and so we try to go systematically through. And I'm thinking and praying about First Peter as our next one that we're going to look at, but I don't quite have our mind around it yet, or my mind around it yet, so we're just doing some individual things. Today we'll be in Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 4 through 8. And while you're turning there, let me just piggyback a little bit on what something that Phil said earlier about the ladies picking colors today. We have taken the approach since since I came here in 2007. We've taken the approach that when we have to pick colors, we let the ladies do it. So I know Phil is trying to be nice by saying the men can come and you can come, but you're probably just gonna you're probably not gonna want to participate because it's probably gonna be a cat fight. Uh, it's it it usually is it usually is interesting. But, you know, I will say this, every single time, I must be colorblind or something, because every time I'll have a color that I think is just, this is it, this is what it needs to be, the women will shout me down like I'm an idiot, and then they'll pick something that I think looks terrible, and then it looks great. So, they know what they're doing. And, uh, ladies, if you have the nerve, and you wish to participate, we will gather in the comments for a few moments. We have some sample colors, and uh, we need to get that decision made today, so... Please join us if you can. No, I was wrong on that. That's next week. Yeah. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Father God, I pray you would help us now as we look at your word and, Father, this is your word, such a practical and important part of it. And so I pray today, first of all, Lord, forgive me for anything that would hinder my uh, usefulness here uh, before these, your people, and uh, cleanse me of anything that would, would hinder, and fill me with your spirit, and help me, Lord, to preach your word and only your word. I pray the things that come out of my mouth are only what you once said and nothing else. Uh, but, Lord, I pray everything you once said is said. So guide me. And then I pray you'd guide us all. May we be students of your word today. May we have hearts that are open, ears that are open, minds that are open to what you have to say to us today. May we receive it. May we respond to it. May we be made more like our Savior because of it. And as always, Lord, if there's even one in our midst who does not know Jesus as Savior, who uh, has just never made that first step, I pray they'd hear the gospel today, respond to it, and believe it, and uh, be saved today. So, guide this time, we give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you notice in your bulletin, the title for today's sermon is, Have We Lost Our Minds? And my guess is, 
that when you read that title, your first thought went to, you know, thinking that I would be speaking about culture, about society. My guess is that many of you who read that thought it, read it like this, has our culture lost its collective mind? And of course, that's a valid question. And it's one that's actually quite easy to answer. The answer is yes. There, I already answered that question. Society has lost its collective mind. That is beyond dispute. We used to know things. We used to know what a man was and what a woman was. We used to know where babies come from. We used to have a basic understanding of things like elementary biology. We used to have a tenuous grasp on things like right and wrong. Whether we were Christians or not, there was some understanding of the difference between good and evil. We used to understand a lot of truths that society no longer seems to understand or accept. This, these days we call evil good and good evil. Mankind is not more intelligent or more advanced in their thinking now than they used to be. I would argue the opposite. You can, you can argue with me if you want, but I would argue the opposite. We have more discoveries. We have more technology. We have more understanding of certain facts and features of our world. We have made great strides technologically. We have made great strides scientifically. And when I use that word, I, I'm referring to real science, not the insanity and ludicrousness that passes for science today. So, yes, have we lost our minds collectively? Yes. But in terms of actual thought, Thinking, wisdom, even intelligence, I think our society is less, not more, than what it was before. I thought that was me. And I think, I think that is obvious to all of us. So, so to ask the question, has society lost its collective minds, I, I think we would all say yes. And if not, we can talk about that afterwards. But I, I want to set that aside this morning, even though that's probably where all of our brains went when you saw what we were going to talk about. And I want to make it more personal. I want to ask whether we as individuals, specifically individual Christians, have lost our minds. Have you? Have I? Proverbs chapter 23 and verse number 7 says, As he thinks in his heart, so is he. And our text this morning, which is verse number 8, speaks very specifically of our thought life. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. That verse instructs us very plainly on what our minds ought to be and what our thought life ought to be. It instructs very plainly on what we ought to be thinking about, and even more strongly than that, on what we ought to be meditating on. The word translated there in our New King James, meditate, uh, it doesn't refer to just casual thinking about a thing, passing thoughts on something. It, it refers to dwelling on it, focusing on it, meditating on it. And so what are we to meditate on? We're given eight things in this passage of Scripture, eight that we should focus our, our thoughts on, things that are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. Those are the things we ought to be thinking about. And I don't think we go too far. The Scripture doesn't say this, but I don't think we go too far uh, by noting also the implication that the opposite are things we ought to avoid thinking about or allowing into our mind. 
the untrue, the dishonorable, the unrighteous, the impure, the unlovely, things of bad reputation, the non-virtuous and the unpraiseworthy things. We ought to try our best to minimize the time we spend thinking about those things. But that's the subject of another day. I want to concentrate on the positive, those eight things today. So let's look at those for just a moment this morning. First of all, whatever things are true. True. Certainly not the first time the Apostle Paul has spoken about this or given such instruction. He told the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 15, he said, Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Verse number 25, Therefore, putting away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Whatever things are true. This is the most important of all the other things mentioned here, by the way. This is the foundational one. This is the one on which all the other ones uh, stand. Of course, we live in an age where truth doesn't exist, at least in our society. It's non-existent. What news source are you going to listen to these days? What are you going to listen to or read or watch that you can trust is true? Anybody can post anything on social media. Anybody with a phone. Anybody can create their own fascinating YouTube videos. I confess that I have gotten addicted to YouTube, and I spend way too much time looking at YouTube. And sometimes I can take about three seconds into a video before I realize this guy's a moron. This person knows nothing about what he's speaking of. And you go on to something else. Anybody can post anything. Anybody can put some official-looking document on on the web and claim that it's true. I've published several different books. All of them are self-published. Anybody today can publish a book. And, and you can just assume in the old days you see something that was published and you think, well, this must be true. You can't do that anymore. Fact-checking has become a thing in 21st century America precisely because anybody can say anything. So this whole industry of fact-checking has grown up. Sites like Snopes.com have grown up. And they're supposed to be keeping everything straight and telling us, well, this is true. And then we find out that they're political and everything else and have their own leanings. You can't trust them either. What are you supposed to believe? And if that weren't bad enough, now we have artificial intelligence. Now we have AI, which can write its own stories, make its own pictures, develop its own videos, so that you don't know when you're looking at something online, whether it was something that was created by online itself, whether or not the Internet is creating the Internet. We don't know what we can believe from any of that stuff, do we? We often feel like Pontius Pilate when he stood face to face with Jesus and asked him, what is truth? Because here's the reality. If we can't determine what is true, nothing else in this list matters. Nothing else that he told us to think about here if we can't think about what is true. The rock-solid foundation of a healthy thought life has to be truth above all else. And Jesus told us what is the source of truth, didn't he? He said in John chapter 17 and verse number 17, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The Bible is truth. And, of course, Satan, from the very beginning of his dealings with mankind, has sought to cast doubt on that and has sought to cast doubt on God's word. Go back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 1. And you see that his, his, his way of uh, defeating and, and introducing sin into the world was to do that, that very thing. Yea, hath God said, did God really say that? Cast doubt on God's word. And Jesus didn't pull any punches when he warned us about Satan and his hatred of truth. He said in John chapter 8 and verse 44, You are of your father the devil, 
In the desires of your father you want to do, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. The source of truth is God's word. The source of every lie is Satan, who seeks to distort and corrupt and dispute and deny God's word. So what is the foundation of a right mind? What is the very first thing we need to think on and meditate on and dwell on? Well, it's truth. And that need means we need to be in the truth. And we need to be in the Word regularly. I, I know I hammer that issue all the time here. And I know every time I do it, I can hear, I can just kind of hear you guys sitting out there saying, here we go again. He's going to tell us we ought to be reading the Bible. Don't you have anything else to talk about, preacher? No. I don't. I'm a one-hit wonder. I, I, don't have, I don't have any other message to preach to you today. I can only preach Christ and Him crucified, the only hope we have of forgiveness for sins. And I, I get that from this book, this truth. That's all we've got. God's holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible, perfect, God-breathed Bible. And if we're going to have a right mind, if we're going to think right thoughts, that's where we have to start, with the truth. To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them, said Isaiah in Isaiah 8.20. So whatsoever things are true, that's the first thing. Whatsoever things are noble is the second thing he says we ought to be meditating on. Noble. Second criteria. Some translations say honest or honorable. But I think either translation makes the point. The mind that wins the battle takes the high road and not the low. That's what he's saying. Its thoughts are dignified, worthy of respect. It doesn't get pulled into the gutter, but thinks nobly. Paul told the Corinthians to provide honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men, Second Corinthians 8.21. And I would suggest that Christianity in our society, in our culture, at least Western Christianity, has faltered here. I think we've lost a lot of that. We dress down, we dumb down, we water down everything about the faith these days. Sometimes it seems like we're desperately trying to do everything we can to do the least for Christ. Demonstrate the very least amount of differentiation between ourselves and the world. But our lives ought to be demonstrations of the noble, of the honorable. We ought to be known far and wide as the people who take the high road always. And again, that starts with our thought lives and how we think. So we need to think about the noble. Think about the honorable. Number three, he said, whatsoever things are just. That word is translated right or righteous in some translations as well. It refers to thoughts that conform to God's standard of righteousness. This is a little bit redundant, I suppose, with the first point about truth. But... Here we find that it pertains more to how we view that truth as actual instructions for living. Uh, how our lives are conformed to the truth. How our lives are lived in conformity to God's standards. Whatever things are just, whatever things are right, whatever things are righteous. Should a Christian marry a non-Christian? Well, you could go to the pundits of the world and you could look on bookshelves and you could find all kinds of 
answers to that. Or you could go to the Bible and conform your thinking to what the Bible says, God's standard of righteousness. And you'd find things like this. Be ye not unequally yoked together, believer with unbeliever. There it is. Pretty clear. Should a man and woman live together if they are not married? Our culture not only allows it, but celebrates it. Thinks we're morons to think anything different. But what, but what is God's standard? God says, marriage is honorable at all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. God says, thou shalt not commit adultery. God says, flee fornication. I mean, we, we could go on with a lot of these things, but you get the point. The, the, the difference here between whatever things are just or righteous and whatever things are true is this has to do with how we live it out. We can, in our mind, believe the truth, but are we living according to the truth? This is where our thought life says, this is how I ought to live. This is what the Bible says, and therefore, I ought to live that way, according to God's standard of right and wrong. Whatsoever things are pure is the next one. And this refers to what is wholesome or unmixed with moral impurity. Now it's going to get real quiet in here. It's already quiet, but it's going to get even quieter. Because this is one of the greatest battlefields, maybe the greatest battlefield waged in the minds of Christians today. I suppose it's true in every age, but it's certainly true today. Moral purity. Consider Paul's words to the Ephesian believers. He said this in Ephesians chapter 4. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. He went on in chapter 5 and said, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Whatever things are pure. If you're a man, you struggle with this. If you're a woman, you struggle with this. Statistics tell us pornography is a problem for almost every man and almost every woman in our society today. If you have a computer, you're at risk. If you have a phone, you're at risk. If you have a tablet, you're at risk. If you have cable TV or streaming services, you are at risk. Parents, if your children have unsupervised and unfettered access to any of these devices, they are in danger. They are exposed, overwhelmed by, drowning in impurity and filth and wickedness 24 hours a day. Their minds are filled with the exact opposite thoughts, impure thoughts, from what the Bible says here we should be putting into our minds, which are pure thoughts. So how is the purity of your thought life? Men? Ladies, how about yours? Kids, how about yours? How many of 
you, and I'm, I'm speaking to myself as well here, how many of us would want others to know about our thoughts? Paul says here that we need to make a conscious effort to think purely. And the obvious implication then is that we need to make a conscious effort to put away impure thinking. We're not going to make much progress trying to fill our mind with pure thoughts when we're continuously shoving, shoveling in impure in the same spot. I, I thought about some practical thoughts about how, how we might help with this, and I, I just listed four things here. Let me just share them with you. Because if you struggle in this area, uh, you're, you're not alone, let me assure you. And you're not even unusual uh, if you struggle in this area. But if you do struggle in this area, you need to take some steps. And uh, here, here are a few steps you might consider. There might be others. Here's some just came to my mind. Number one, find someone who can hold you accountable. Find a, an accountability partner that will help you stay accountable concerning what you view, what you read, what you think about. This is a person who should be willing to look you in the eye and ask you hard questions. What did you read in the Bible today? What did you look at on the Internet today? Did you look at pornography today? You need someone who will ask you those kinds of questions. And then you need to be willing to ask the same things of them. You need to be partners in that. Find someone to help you stay accountable. Number two, pray like crazy for God's help in this. Ask others to pray with you and for you. Number three, and this may be the the most important one, I don't know. One of the most scriptural ones anyway. Run like crazy from any sign of it. This is, this is vitally important for all of us to realize. None of us can beat this on our own. No, but nobody can. You can't, I can't, nobody can. David, the man after God's own heart, could not beat this. Fornication, as I've mentioned several times, and, and as, as you know if you read your Bibles, you know it is one of only a couple things in the Bible that we are never told to fight. We're never told to resist. We're told to turn around, tuck our tail, and run as fast as we can in the other direction. That's what it says, First Corinthians 6.18, flee fornication run like crazy and number four fill your mind with the truth of god's word paul put that first in his list of right thinking because it is the foundation on which the others stand you're not going to you're not going to fill your mind with pure thoughts if you're not first filling it with the bible let that squeeze everything else out satan by the way will fight you like crazy on this tell him to go to hell and fill your mind with the Bible. Whatsoever things are pure. Next thing he mentions is whatsoever things are lovely. This word means pleasing or agreeable. Only place the word occurs in the New Testament. And I think it's just another word that indicates the thought like of, of the Christian should be good, beautiful, lovely. Our thought life should not be in the gutter but in, on the mountains. Next he said whatsoever things are of good report. Think about commendable things, admirable things, the kind of things that others admire rather than the opposite, which would be things people look down on or are disgusted by. It's another word that occurs only here in the New Testament. It's another word that reminds us that our thoughts ought to take the high road and not the low. And then the last he mentions is virtuous or praiseworthy things. Is it virtuous or is it praiseworthy? And I think excellence is the thought there. He's reaching even higher now. He's saying it's not enough to fill our mind with good things. We should actually seek to fill our minds with the highest and the best of things. Excellent things. So what is the key to a right thought life for a believer? 
Well, I think he says it here. We need to strive to think always about what is true, what is noble, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is of good report, and what is virtuous and praiseworthy. Now, if you're like me, you have a little problem with that list. You don't feel real good when you read that list because your thoughts probably don't all the time line up. Very well, I'm not any different. The reality is we need God's help for this. We need it desperately. We need the indwelling Holy Spirit to help us. We need the encouragement and help of other believers in this. That's one of the reasons why we gather together on the Lord's Day with the Lord's people. Because we need each other to help us along these lines. We can't do this all. And we need to pray and we need to seek God's help for our thought lives. We're told in Romans 12 too. I think I read this once before. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need God's help for that and so we need to pray it's a god thing we need to pray for his help in in all of it helping us to think thoughts that are true noble right pure lovely of good report virtuous and praiseworthy if i may speak personally just for a moment let me share with you that there are a few verses in the bible that are more practically helpful to me than this verse. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. It's such a practical verse. Oh, there's other verses that are, that are wonderful and are meaningful. My life verse, for example, is a glorious encouragement to me. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things that thou knowest not. Jeremiah 33, 3. It's such a reminder to me that God hears and answers prayers, and he often does it, so often does it, in ways I can't even imagine. Wonderful verse. And there's so many other promises in the Bible. We have the promise of his presence. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I will never leave you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me promise of his presence we have the promise of his provision but seek ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you i've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed baking bread is the promise of eternal life to all who will believe for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life what a promise Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. So many promises. There is the wonderful promise that no matter what we may see or experience in this broken and sin-deadened world, for the Christian, everything's going to be okay. Just fine. Though the fig tree may, may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. In other words, if everything falls apart, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet and he will make me walk on my high hills. There are so many wonderful promises in the Bible. 
They're all encouragements to me, and I rejoice in all of them. But I, I can think of very few verses in the Bible that are as practical and helpful to me that I can draw on and implement as effectively as this one in Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 8. Whatever thoughts, whatever fears, whatever worries, whatever temptations my adversary the devil might throw my way, I can apply this verse, and it will work every single time. Every single time. Really, devil? You want me to think about that? Well, let's apply the test. Is it true? Seldom do I need to go any further than that one. That, that knocks him, cuts him off at the knees almost every single time. Very few problem thoughts can pass that test. But the other tests are still there in case the truth test is not enough. Is it noble? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it of good report, virtuous and praiseworthy? It works. And, of course, it's not enough to have a toolkit for banishing problem thinking from our minds. We can't just put away wrong thoughts and leave just an empty hole there. We need to fill our minds with the right thoughts. This, this passage is talking about filling our minds with the right thoughts. It tells me to test and reject wrong thoughts, but it also tells me to meditate and fill my thoughts with Fill my mind with right ones. Fill your mind with the truth, and it pushes out the untrue. Fill your mind with the noble and righteous, and such will push aside the ugly and sinful thoughts. I'll never forget something that my mother-in-law said one time. I was never privileged to meet Kathy's mom, but Beth's mom, Mildred was her name. Al would remember her. She was a woman of very few words. She almost never said anything other than just small talk that I recall. But this one time she said something which I have never forgotten. We were having some kind of a conversation, and I don't remember what it was about, but people were worried and concerned about some issue. And, and there was this, this tense conversation that was going on. And she suddenly spoke up in the middle of this conversation, and she said, I don't have enough gray cells to waste any of them on that. That was brilliant. And I've never forgotten it. And, and, I, and I'm ever convicted by it. I mean, how many of the precious gray cells that God has put in my mind and entrusted to me have been used up in stinking thinking? How many untrue, base, unrighteous, impure, sinful, and just plain ugly thoughts occupy my mind? And what about you? I mean, here's the challenge to all of us. Here's the challenge to you, Christian. Have you you lost your mind? Are you losing the battle for your thought life? Do others look at you and see someone who looks so together? And yet you would writhe in embarrassment if they could see what is really in there. You see, if we've lost our minds, if we seem to have lost the battle for our thought lives, We can reverse course. We can turn it around. We can be transformed by the renewing of our minds, as Paul encouraged the Romans. Our minds can think right if we think on these things, if we meditate on them, if we fill our minds with true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy thoughts. So, may God help us to live in Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 8. Father, we're thankful. 
I am so thankful for this verse. Every time I come across it, Lord, in my devotions, I'm reminded how poorly I implemented in my own life and yet how desperately I need to. How, how, how very important this is and how it, it solves the problem of, of, of losing the battle for our thought lives. I pray, Father, today that not just for me, but for everybody in this place, this would, this would find a, a resting place in our hearts and minds. We would think about this and take this seriously. May we all examine our thought lives today and ask ourselves whether any of these things need to be more true in our life. Help us, Father, to have a right thought life. I pray if this speaks to the heart of anybody here, that, Lord, you'd help them to deal with it right now. Talk to you about it. Come to the front and pray about it here with somebody else if they want to. But, Lord, I pray that if we need to deal with this as Christians, we would. And then, Lord, I pray if there are those here today who maybe uh, haven't even made that first step, maybe this is, this is premature for them because they haven't come to the place where they've trusted Christ. They haven't accepted that first promise that, uh, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish. Maybe they've never done that. Maybe they've never called upon the name of the Lord and been saved. Maybe they wonder about that stuff and they'd like to know more, but they've never done it. And so, Lord, I pray if there's anybody like that, may this be the day that they just throw aside every inhibition and say, I, I, I'm, I'm going to find out about this once and for all. I'm going to decide whether or not I'm going to be saved or lost, whether or not I'm going to go to heaven or hell. I'm going to make a decision today. And I pray they'd step out and come to the front and let us show them from the Bible how they can know for certain. May they turn to somebody beside him and say, I want to go up there, but I'm, I'm chicken. I pray that you go with me. Lord, if we need to make decisions today, help us to make them. May we live in Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 8. May our thought lives be right. May we not lose the battle for our minds. And uh, we pray we do it according to what you've revealed here in Scripture. And we pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.